I want you to turn your Bibles to Exodus 18. Uh, pardon me, Deuteronomy 18 and Exodus 20. I was thinking about explaining to you. I know Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 4 where the Ten Commandments are, so we'll, we'll get to Exodus 20 in a moment, and you can go just to Exodus 20 if you want, but um, I'm going to read a passage in Deuteronomy 18 first. All right, so we're in a series called Relationship Through God's Top Ten, and we're talking about the Ten Commandments. We did the first commandment which was I believe that there's a principle behind each commandment that is a principle of relationship. And so we talked about the principle of priority. This weekend we're gonna talk about the principle of purity, of purity. I believe this is the principle behind the second command. Now, I've, I, the reason I wanna read Deuteronomy 18 first is because I wanna again set up this series and this message because the second commandment begins with these three words, you will not. Or the old King James, we say, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Okay, seven out of the 10 commandments begin with the words, you will not. You shall not, you will not. Okay, but I want you to understand that God is not saying that because he's a prude and he doesn't want you to have any fun. It would be like you saying to your children, you will not play in the street. You will play in the yard. You're not doing that because the street is more fun. You're doing that because it's dangerous. You have to remember that Israel was leaving a pagan land, Egypt, and they were entering a pagan land. They left a land of many gods, and still Canaan was the land of many gods, but another way to say it is, it was the land of many idols. Absolutely horrible. They literally, listen to what Psalm 106 verse 37 says, they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They were going into a land of idolatry, and he was trying to warn them, don't get involved. So I want to show you this, you will not, in the Deuteronomy 18 passage, to set up this second commandment and all the Ten Commandments, right? So it's like this, Deuteronomy 18 verse 9 says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not, see there it is again, you shall not, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. That means off, they offer the children, they made them walk in the fire alive. They, they burned them alive. There shall not be anyone found among you that does that, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or medium, or spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. And then down in verse 14, the second part of verse 14, this is what he says. As for you, the Lord your God has not appointed, has not appointed such for you. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, capital P, like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him, capital H, you shall hear. This is talking about Jesus. Acts 3 is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Verse 22, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, capital P, speaking of Jesus, like me from your, from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. Now here's what Deuteronomy 18 is saying. He's saying the Lord has not appointed weird and spooky stuff for you, sorcerers and mediums and spiritists, but what the Lord has appointed for you is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he has appointed for you. 
And so the 10 commandments again, when he says you shall not do this because I've not appointed that stuff for you, idolatry and sacrificing your children, I have appointed for you relationship. So I'm telling you again, the 10 commandments are about relationship. And the second commandment I believe is the principle of purity. So let me go through the three points that I have. Here's, here's point number one, the danger of impurity. Now in Exodus 20, if you're over there, Exodus 20, the second commandment is three verses. So I'm gonna take each verse for one, one of the points that I have today, all right? So we'll first look at the first verse of the second commandment, which is Exodus 20, verse four. You shall not, you shall not, for your good, make for yourself a carved image. I want you to notice the word image because most will reduce this and say idol. And that's okay, it is referring to an idol, but we gotta come back to the word image in a moment. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Okay, the Canaanites worshiped idols more than any other people on the face of the earth. They had idols for everything, for fertility, for rain, for blessings, all that, and they made carved images. Now, you have to understand, Israel was the only nation that did not worship images of their God. Only one. So he's saying, don't do this. By the way, Colossians 1.15, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Israel's the only one that had the invisible God. So when they go in there, the Canaanites begin to talk to them about gods. And the Canaanites, you have to understand, they had a personal God, a family God, and a national God. And here's the way that they tricked Israel. They said to them, oh, we understand that you have a national God, Jehovah. We have a national God too. But you need a personal God and you need a family God. And they told them you needed Asherah as your personal God and you need Baal as your family God. And this is why all through the Old Testament you will see that Israel built Asherah poles and Baal idols. Because God said to them, now listen, when you go in that land, they're gonna to try to deceive you, and they did. Listen to some of these scriptures. Judges 3, 7, so the children of Israel did evil in sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. And then when Elijah called everyone up on Mount Carmel and he called fire down, 1 Kings 18, 19, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Remember, by the way, when God was telling Moses, on the mountain, do not make an idol, do not have a carved image. While he's telling Moses this, on the mountain, the children of Israel are at the bottom of the mountain making two golden calves. And they say, these calves brought us out of Egypt. Now, sometimes I find humor in the Bible. Just want you, here's what they said. These calves that we just made brought us out of Egypt. How crazy. While, while God's telling them, don't have any images, they're already making an image. Now, think about this. The Canaanites believed 
that the gods lived in heaven and that when you carved an image, the God in heaven of that image would put his spirit in that image. And then they would take that image around to in their fields to bless their crops. They would make an image of fertility and put it in their bedroom so they would conceive. By the way, you, you want to think about what God was warning them of. It goes even farther than this. They had temple prostitutes that if you were trying to conceive, you'd go to church, give an offering, basically pay for a prostitute, have sex with her so that the goddess of fertility would bless your wife. It was immoral and it was inhumane because again, they caused their children to pass through the fire. They, caused their, they offered their children alive, burned them alive to the God of Molech. And God was saying, I'm trying to warn you. I'm trying to warn you, if you allow a mixture into your life, that's what he tells in the second commandment, any mixture is gonna bring impurity into your life. And I'm telling you about the danger right now, but I'm gonna tell you about the consequences of it here in a moment as well. But here's what they believe. They believe that when they carved an image, that, that the God of that image put his spirit in that image. Okay, who gave the Canaanites that idea? Listen to me, Satan did. And you know where he got it? <laughs> because God fashioned an image of himself on the earth and put his spirit in it. Genesis 1:26, he said, let us make man in our image. That's why there doesn't need to be another image of God on the earth. You are the image of God on the earth. And God puts his spirit in you. Now, again, these are idols, but think about the word image. The word image is the root word of the word imagination. I almost named this message the principle of reality because when you live in a fantasy world, when you live with imaginations that are ungodly, if you imagine yourself with another person sexually than your spouse, if you imagine yourself uh, in another job or another house, and I'm talking about where you, you can't be content, you can't be happy until you get this raise or this promotion or this title or this position or this much money in the bank. When you begin to imagine yourself doing something other than what God has provided for you, you have an idol. You have an idol. So these are the dangers. This is the danger of impurity. Let me tell you, Secondly, here, here are the consequences of impurity. This is the second verse of the second commandment. Verse five, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Now, here's what he's telling them. We're gonna go into more detail. They tell them they're gonna take you into bondage. They're gonna take, take you into bondage. You're gonna serve them. Now, here's the reason why. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting. I want you to notice this word, visiting because I think people have totally misunderstood this as well. Visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Okay, first of all, I want you to notice that this happens to people who hate God, not people who love God. You can't imagine how this has been misapplied in the body of Christ. This happens, he said, I visit the iniquities to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. He's gonna tell us a moment 
what he does for those who love him. To the third and fourth generation. Okay, just think, it's not as, as, as I, just, I, I just want people to understand the grace of God, even in the Old Testament. He didn't say the word visiting. It's a great word. Think about visit. When you visit, listen, he didn't say, I'm going to cause these iniquities to inhabit the next generations. He said, but I am going to let them visit them. Not inhabit, but visit. It visits a big word. So let me just tell you in the natural how this could have happened. Um, in Israel, most houses had four generations living in one house. In my own life, uh, my parents are still alive, and Debbie's mother is still alive. So when we gather for Christmas, Thanksgiving, family functions, we have my parents and Debbie's mom, then Debbie and me, then our children, and then our grandchildren. How many generations? Four. Every holiday, we have four generations. So in Israel, four generations living in the house. This is amazing. God said to the third and fourth generation, think about, now my father is a very godly man. He's a very godly man. So this is not applicable to him today at all. But think about if my father was an alcoholic and he showed up at all these family functions drunk, it would influence, it would affect my children and grandchildren, the third and fourth generation. Are you following me? Okay, so God says it's gonna do this. But why would God even allow this? Why would God say, I am going to visit them? Well, he gives us the reason. I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. I am jealous for your affection, so I'm going to do something to get your affection. Now, I'll, I'll explain to you in a moment how it does get your affection. But let me explain jealousy for a moment. Jealousy is listed as a work of the flesh. But there's a good jealousy and a bad jealousy. The bad jealousy is you're jealous for another person because of selfish reasons. The good jealousy is you're jealous of another person because of godly reasons, because you love that person, don't want anything to happen. Um, you know, when Debbie and I first got married, if you remember, um, I was not a Christian, okay? Okay, so I, I put the BC out there. This is before Christ. I'm clarifying this illustration. I was not a Christian. Debbie was working in an office, and a man invited her to lunch one day, and I was out of town. She told me about it that night. I said, tomorrow you tell that man that you told me that he invited you to lunch and that I'm going to talk to him when I get back. And you tell him that if he talks to you again while I'm out of town, it's going to be 10 times worse when I get back. So I got back, I walked into the guy's office, and I said to him, stand up. I was not a Christian. <laughs> I was not a Christian. He said, uh, why? He was, voice was trembling. He said, why do you want me to stand up? I said, because I've never hit a man sitting down before. Stand up. <laughs> I'm about to knock you through the wall. And I explained to him, he never stood up, I never hit him, I just explained to him the way of the Lord more perfectly. <laughs> that he would never again invite my wife to lunch. I was extremely jealous of her. And I did not want a wolf coming in to a very innocent sheep and trying to move in on her. In the same way, listen, God says all through the Old Testament, I am so jealous for Israel. He's not angry at them, he's angry at the ones that are taking them captive. 
He's upset. He's going to come in. So why would he visit the iniquity? Well, it's amazing. It's because that iniquity actually frustrates the next generation so that they search for God. They see the consequences of the iniquity, like an alcoholic in the family. And they decide, I'm never going to have anything to do with that. As a matter of fact, they they had a saying in Israel where they misinterpreted this commandment, and their saying was, a son shall die for the sins of his father. It's like our saying, like father, like son. Okay, A son shall die for the sins of the father. And Ezekiel 18, I don't have time to read the whole chapter, but God comes in and says, you will no longer say that because I'm a just God. And he says, and this is what he says. Let me just show you a couple scriptures if I have any idea where I'm, okay, on the page. Here it is. Exodus 18, verse 14. He says, if, however, this, this is the bad guy, he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers, considers it, thinks about it, but does not do likewise. And then in verse 17, he, the son, shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. He comes in and says, listen, I'm going to visit these iniquities on you, but you have a choice whether you're going to continue in that way or not. And if you'll turn from that, if you'll consider it and turn. Remember I used that illustration about my father. My father grew up in an alcoholic home. He saw alcoholism. We never had a drop of anything in the house. You want to know why? Because he saw it, he considered it, and listen to me, and he broke that generational curse over our family because he turned away from it. So you got the dangers of impurity, the consequences, and then look at the blessings of purity. Here's point three. The blessings of purity in verse six, which is the third verse of the second commandment, but, but, in other words, he just said, I'm gonna visit the iniquities to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but, but showing mercy to thousands, and the implication here is generation, and you say, well, how do you know that? Well, I'll back it up with another scripture. To those who love me and keep my commandments. And let me show you the other scriptures, because a lot of people say, well, that's just thousands of people, not thousands of generations. Problem is, there are three other scriptures that state thousands of generations. In Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy, by the way, is the second law. You got Exodus as the law, Deuteronomy is the second law. In other words, the law repeated. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's so many times, again, we read the Old Testament and we see judgment, law, all this stuff, and yet all of it is for relationship. It's all for good. God doesn't want you to walk in impurity because it affects your relationship with him. He wants to have a pure relationship with you, and it not only will affect you, but it will affect your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. You should get Rabbi Constant last week. If there's anything in your life that you know is impure or wrong, you need to get it out of your life. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. Because it's going to affect your purity, your relationship with God. Now, we talked about the word visiting. Let me just tell you just a moment about the word showing. Showing, okay? This word showing 
is a Hebrew word, and it's translated other ways. Uh, some of the ways it's translated are fashion, accomplish, prepare, appoint, ordain, institute, bring about, produce, press, and squeeze. Okay, I want you to think about this. God is going to fashion mercy for you. He's going to accomplish it. He's going to prepare mercy for you. He's going to appoint mercy for you. He's going to ordain mercy for you. He's going to institute, bring about, produce, press, and squeeze mercy and blessings all over you and all over your descendants for a thousand generations. If you'll simply love him and keep his commandments. So please hear me. The Ten Commandments aren't bad. Paul says that even in the New Testament. He says they're not bad. The commandments aren't bad. They're good. And what they're doing is they're not this list of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not because God doesn't want us playing in the street because the street's more fun. They're lists of principles that if we understand this principle, it's going to bless us and it's going to bless everyone that lives after us. Everyone. Some of you know that um, uh, we have three children, Josh, James, and Elaine, two boys and a girl, and then their spouses and grandchildren. Elaine lived a double life for about two years when she was a teenager, uh, a late teenager. And um, we knew that her attitude was wrong, and some of you who've had older children, you've gone through something like this, you can see it in their attitude, but we didn't know how wrong her actions were during that time until she confessed to us. But for about two years, we did what any parent would do, and that's pray and seek God and try to get through and try to talk and do what we could do. But, and the only reason I'm sharing this, by the way, is she shares this publicly. She's actually preaching at Pastor Tim Ross's church today. So she teaches and preaches and conferences and all now, and loves the Lord, serves the Lord, godly husband, Ethan. Um, but she walked away from the Lord for about two years, and she did it privately. She had a secret life. And so she repented, came back to the Lord, and probably truly got saved at 19 years old. And she said to, when, after she repented, she came to Debbie and me, and she said, I need to confess some things to you guys. So we went outside to, on the patio to talk. And um, in our house, uh, we have a, a grandchildren candy jar. Just so you know, it's, it's for grandchildren and... <laughs> But anyway, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so so I, I got those little Tootsie Rolls, you know, the little, little ones, you know, okay? So I got two of those Tootsie Rolls. We go outside. I don't know what all she's going to confess. Well, I start eating one of the Tootsie Rolls. She starts confessing, and, and it's pretty bad. And my heart begins to break for my daughter, and so I didn't eat the second Tootsie Roll. So we talked. We loved her. We prayed for her, prayed over her, things like that and we're reunited, and uh, when I went in that night, I saw this Tootsie Roll in my pocket, and I started to throw it away, and I felt like the Lord said, keep that. And so I put it away somewhere, and I kept it. Six months later now, she's met Ethan, who's her husband now, godly man. She's been serving the Lord. She's doing great, and we started talking during that time. We even went to a counselor together, because some of the reasons she rebelled was her response to me. And I, I failed her in some ways. Church was large, um, and that's not, that's not your fault, it's my fault. Uh, uh, the television, the books, the things like that, I didn't know how to handle some of that stuff. 
And again, that's not an excuse. She understands it's a reason, but it's not an excuse. But I wasn't there then for her during some formidable teenage years, as much as I should have been. So I began to ask her things like that of, how did I fail you? How can I ask your forgiveness and make that up to you during that six-month time? One of the things she said, she said, Dad, this is so small, but it's, it's just been in my heart, but it's a small thing. So I said, well, what is it? Well, when she was three years old, we were driving to Dallas one day, and re, it was at night, and Reunion Tower was lighted. You've seen Reunion Tower when it lights and the lights flash and all that. And it's the first time she'd ever seen it. And so she's three, and so she said this. She said, Dad, look at that. I said, yeah, isn't it pretty? And she said, yeah. She said, Dad, please buy that for me. <laughs> well, obviously, <laughs> I can't buy Reunion Tower for her, so I said, well, sugar, I, I can't buy that. Um, I said, but it's a restaurant. And I said, I'll tell you what, when you get older, I'll take you on a date to Reunion Tower. And I forgot all about that. But she didn't forget about it. And she said, Dad, it's just a small thing, but you never did that. And so we set up a date. And when I was getting ready to take her to Reunion Tower, the Lord spoke something to my heart. And I put that Tootsie Roll in my pocket. And so we had our dinner. Two days later, I knew that Ethan was going to propose to her. He'd already talked to us about it. And I said to her after dinner, I said, you want some dessert? She said, yeah. And I pulled that Tootsie Roll out. And she said, that's our dessert. <laughs> I said, well, we can order something else in a moment. But I said, do you have any idea what this is? She said, no. And so I told her about the two Tootsie Rolls. And I said, the Lord told me that you and I are going to eat this Tootsie Roll tonight. Because we're closing the chapter on the time you walked away from God, and we're breaking those curses to our future generations. And we ate that Tootsie Roll. It was horrible. It was. <laughs> Are you hearing me? When God said, you shall not, it's not because he doesn't want you to have fun. It's because he wants you to walk in a pure relationship with him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to just take a moment. And we do this every weekend. Every weekend we say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Here's what I want you to do. Because it, during this message, the Lord put his finger on two areas of my life and said, Robert, I don't want you to have imaginations about that anymore. And I want you to build that up in your mind that that's something for you to fall to or even that it's your weakness. I want it out of your life. So I want you to ask the Holy Spirit Lord, 
what idol that causes me to serve that idol? What idol do you want to deliver me from today? I'm telling you, this message is so strong in my heart that I believe God's going to deliver every one of us from something. I don't think he's going to leave anyone out. If you'll just do like it said in Ezekiel 18, if you'll see it, consider it, which means change your mind about it, think about it, and decide to do something different. Will you just take a moment and give it to God? Say, God, I just need to give this idol to you. I don't want to serve this idol. I don't want to serve this imagination. I want to give it to you. And then we want to pray for you. Every campus, every service, every, every person in overflow, if you need prayer for any area of your life, and we ask that no one leave during this time because this is a very important time, the time when we pray for people. So in just a moment, we'll have one more worship song, and we'll have leaders at the front of every campus and every room. If you need prayer. And I tell you, if God's put his finger on something, you ought to have someone agree with you. God just, and I've, I've done this with Debbie and I've done this with brothers here at the church. If you have something that God put his finger on, come, let us, let us agree with you. Let us pray with you. All right. And let's seal that thing. Get delivered today. Holy spirit. I pray that you'll draw every person. Lord, please don't let anyone feel embarrassed or ashamed, or think, well, they're going to think it's some big bad sin. Lord, every one of us need help. And I pray, God, that you'll draw every person at every campus that you're speaking to right now for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.